You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to another edition of the Business of the Music Business Podcast. Pam Rossi here. Uh, and as I do each uh, podcast, bring in a expert and uh, something that, <laughs> as Howard turns around and looks at where uh, I bring in someone that knows about the music business and has dealt with that. And so I have in today um, a guest with the entertainment business. We have an entertainment lawyer, Howard Hertz. Well, thanks for having me, Pam. Yeah, absolutely, Howard. Glad to have you in here. Um, you are from, of course, uh, Hertz and Schramm, PC, right? Uh, law firm. So uh, I know you've been uh, in this business actually as an entertainment lawyer for what some forty some years. For it'll be forty three years since I started uh, my first uh, client in music. Can you tell us who your first client was? He was uh, Ted Strunk. So Ted was a, a singer songwriter in town. And okay. Was, playing around quite a bit and uh, he had been offered a music publishing contract, Mm -hmm. didn't know what to do with it, couldn't figure it out, didn't understand (laughs) it. So he said to his wife one day, I'm just signing it. And she said, what do you mean you're just signing? You told me yesterday. You don't know what it says. You can't sign it. He said, I give up. And she said, well, I saw you reading this big thick book. What did the book say? And he said, the book said get an entertainment lawyer and I don't even know a lawyer, mm. let alone an entertainment lawyer. Yeah. And his wife said, oh, remember that woman I told you about at school, the new teacher at our school, Wendy? Her husband's a lawyer. Let's call him. <laughs> and that's how I got pulled in. I was at the, at the public defender office at the time handling murder, armed robbery, rape cases and uh, this – Pulled me into entertainment law. Entertainment sounds way better than murder cases for sure. (laughs) Well, as I've often said with tug-in-cheek, I majored in psychology in undergrad, went to law school, went to the public defender office. Excuse me. Mm -hmm. (coughs) I was handling murder, armed robbery and rape and then I went into entertainment law. So it was a natural progression. Okay. Okay. Well, let me uh, just for people listening and maybe don't know you. Um, of course, you said you've been doing this for forty three years, and uh, you've re- represented a lot of the creative side: the authors, the screenwriters, the recording artists, the radio personalities, the producers, the production companies, the recording labels, the agents, the music publishers, the songwriters. I mean, wow, that's a lot. It's a lot. That and, is a and lot. Every day is something new and different, and. Interesting and stressful. Well, new laws come up, so you have to make sure you know what that's all about and how that's going to affect all of your clients. Sure. Not just new laws, but especially in entertainment, the business is changing so rapidly Mm. with streaming now instead of physical product. Everything is changing. It's like the Wild West. Yeah, (laughs) it is kind of. Yeah, definitely with the download, the streaming and the digital, that's huge. And we're going to get into that in just a moment here. But um, um, and. I just I just want to give you some more kudos here because you just so people listening go well who is this you know yes he's a lawyer he's been a while around a while and you've re- represented represented a lot of great artists George Clinton the Romantics Eminem Jack White those are just some of the few in the Detroit area that you know you have under your belt but you're also a big part of the music scene not just representing these clients but you know the Detroit Music Award Foundation uh, you've been part of the National Academy of Recording Arts and Scientists which is a huge thing. 
uh, you yeah, know, you got that on, on your resume. I was on the board for about 10 years out of the uh, Chicago office, which we like to call the Midwest office, <laughs> but uh, technically it's the Chicago office. I love the fact also you were recognized by the best lawyers in America. Wow. Wow, her, Howard. That's yeah. impressive. So obviously you know your stuff. You've had, you've been doing this for a long time and you've been representing some really great artists, some big names. So um, – and I don't see you slowing down anytime soon as well, <laughs> knowing you. <laughs> well, I, I'm shifting a little bit, not slowing down but, but shifting. In, how so are I'm, you shifting? Well, right now I'm uh, probably doing about a third of the time actually practicing law. Okay. A third of the time on music entrepreneurship and uh, music nonprofits, and then about a third of the time world travel. Yeah, I do see a lot. I mean, we're friends on Facebook, and, and I've known Howard. And yeah, I see a lot of great posts. You're off, just off having some fun, which well, is really cool. Good for you. Go scuba diving <laughs> and. Uh, Going to the Greek islands pretty soon and oh, I, I oh just goodness. love uh, getting out there and seeing the world. It helps to – you know, that you've got some good clients there. Well, let's, um, let's get back to the – you know, someone's in a band or an artist. So there's many, you know, questions that come up. So um, first of all, you know, knowing the music business in, on my side of it, it's like it seems like an artist or a band really needs a team to progress. And you can say, well – you know, I'm just a small little, you know, artist. I'm, you know, I'm really not in the big time yet. But you, to an artist in band, I want to say you better start thinking big time. You well, know? if you want to get to the big time, you have to be organized and you have to have a team. And one of those part of the team is having an entertainment lawyer such as yourself. Absolutely. So, um, so let's talk about that. What is the importance? You know, someone listening would say, yeah, I'm really not at that level or, you know, maybe down the line. So what's the importance? What do you do for a band or an artist? Why should they have an entertainment lawyer? Well, the most important thing is to, first of all, to understand the business because it's one of the most complicated businesses in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, and of that complicated business, music publishing is even more complicated. So you have to have someone who can help guide you in terms of understanding what the different elements are, what the business is, how it works. But then never sign an agreement unless it's like a one-night gig or something like that. Just don't sign an agreement without yeah. an entertainment lawyer reviewing it. And it can't be just a lawyer who your father happens to know <laughs> who does real estate or something like that right, because right. this is a different animal. And you really need someone. I mean, I can't tell you at least once a week someone comes to me and says, I signed this contract and now I want to get out. Oh. And they didn't understand it at the time and they may not be able to get out and they didn't have anyone negotiate it for them. Yeah. After the fact, it's even worse. It's much harder much after harder. the fact. Much harder, yeah. Not, probably not impossible but you probably lose a lot as well. Well, think. it depends. It okay. depends. You know, yeah. But you often have to give up a lot in order to get out of the contract if it's a legitimate contract. Well, and that's the main thing. It's, you know, again – if you're playing at a venue or you're downloading your music or you're selling your music, you know, and even even the contract, uh, which one of the things that came to mind was, OK, for example, there's the single artist. I'm a I'm just a singer songwriter, me and my guitar and we are it. But what happens when you have a band, let's say, you know, that's got to be a little more difficult. Right. A lot of complications come in. Um, first of all, you should form an entity whether it's a 
corporation okay. or right now limited liability companies. LLCs LLC. okay. are the entity de jour and you should then have an agreement between the band members as to what that means. Mm-hmm. So for example, if someone writes a song and brings it to the band, who owns the publishing to that song? Who is the songwriter for that song? Where do the royalties go? Those are things that should be decided ahead of time. If they're not, then they're decided by law, which would mean whoever actually wrote the song owns everything. What happens though, especially, you know, the bands, are, oh, well, let's let's get together tonight. We're going to work on a new song and everybody participates. How do you determine who actually wrote it? Well, if everyone's really participating, then probably okay. everyone wrote it. By copyright law, <laughs> if there's more than one participant and you don't agree in writing and signed to a different share, then it's an equal division between okay. whoever was in the room and actually contributed to the composition. Okay. So you really need to decide ahead of time. So for example, a lot of bands will say, okay, whoever brought in the song – is going to – whoever wrote it actually mm-hmm. is going to be the songwriter. Now, it may be two people like Lennon and McCartney. It may be four people. But whoever actually writes a song is going to be the songwriter. But we're going to agree now even though that one or two people may get the songwriting credit, we as a band are going to own the publishing rights. Okay. Yeah, difference. And, and the publishing rights and the songwriter's share are about equal. It's about a 50-50 split typically. Okay. But a lot of times bands say, no, we should all share at least in the publishing side. Other bands say, well, we should all share in everything, publishing and songwriting. We're a band. We're doing it together. Whoever mm-hmm. brings it in, we're going to be equal. And other people say, no, whoever wrote it, if it's one person that wrote it, they get everything. So you really have to make those kinds of decisions ahead of time. And and that's all laid out in, in, in the contract. In the contract, yeah. right. And then another important issue is what happens if other band members want someone out of the band. Can they kick someone out of the band? Doesn't that have something to do with the, the percentage that you – First to uh, put up front, like I own 50 percent of this or I f- 51 percent or something. Well, that doesn't really make the difference depending on what the contract says. So the contract might say that other than the member that's trying to be – that they're trying to kick out, mm-hmm. it has to be unanimous among everyone else, for example, okay. to kick them out. Or it might say – other than that person, it has to be more than 50 percent of ownership. Mm. So there are a lot of possibilities, a lot of choices. And then someone leaves. What does that mean? Do they still continue to collect royalties in the future? Probably, Probably. for anything that they were already on uh, either as a writer or as a performer. Mm-hmm. So there's just a lot of issues that come up that you really need to agree on ahead of time because – it's easier to agree when you're all getting along <laughs> yes. than it is when the shit hits the fan. Yes. And that made, when you were saying that, it made me think, okay, um, you're thinking, oh, we're all, bud- we're all buddies. We're all pals, you know, and it's like we'll just split it, blah, blah, blah. But like you said, if you come down the line, someone, you know, ticks someone else off and then all of a sudden you're not your buddy anymore. Yeah, if it's all laid out, then you're covered. Right, right. That- but that gets complicated. The, uh, putting it in writing and, and then I've had bands where 
each member of the band decides they need their own lawyer to negotiate oh my. <laughs> the agreement. So all of a sudden, we've got five lawyers around the table trying to decide, you know, who gets what. That would be a that would be a nightmare. I would a imagine. Nightmare. Yes. yes, I try to avoid that, but it, it, that's up to the client. And again, you know, how big is the band? You know, you know, and how well do they know each other right from the get go? And you know that they trust each other to, you know, we can have one represent all of us kind right. of a thing. So, you know, and and it also depends on the lawyer too. True. It does depend on the lawyer and the lawyer's skills in being able to negotiate among the parties and explain things to them in a way that they understand and can make a decision Mm -hmm. rather than saying to the lawyer, well, you tell us what to do. I I don't like telling clients what to do. I like (laughs) them understanding what their choices are and making decisions. Uh, So which brings us to another point. So a band or an artist comes to you and says, we'd like representa- representation from you. So what, what's the procedure? You know, what kind of things would you be looking for before you take on a client? Well, what I'm looking for is to see what their needs are. Okay. okay? So do they need to just set up a – an LLC and do an agreement among the band or more often they've already been offered something. Mm. So they've been offered a recording contract or they've been offered a publishing contract or they've been offered uh, to go out on tour with someone. So I need to know, you know, what is their agreement between them if there is one? Do mm-hmm. they need to do that now? Okay. Uh, have they filed a trademark for their name yet? And if not, uh, are they willing to spend the money? It costs mm-hmm. money for all these things right, right. Uh, to file a trademark. Uh, what is their relationship with the record label or the touring uh, agent or you know whoever it is that's offering them the contract? Okay. Do they know them? Do they trust them? Uh, there are a lot of issues that come into play and, and frankly, I would say 20 percent of the time I'll say to them, I wouldn't sign this if I were you. Mm. And would you at that point suggest a different different clause or, you know, rewording that and then well, be able well, to that, sign it? Well, that – oh, yeah. Uh, no, yeah. 80% of the time I say yeah. I wouldn't sign it the way it is. I'm saying 20%. I would say walk away totally. Okay. okay. Uh, I just had someone come in the other day um, and brought me a contract that he had been offered and it was just a, a quote-unquote simple four-page contract. Mm-hmm. And I read it and I turned to the my prospective client and I said – do you know what this means? He said, no, I couldn't figure it out. And I said, I can't either oh. because it's gobbledygook. <laughs> so don't sign it. <laughs> right. And people sign them. People sign them. Well, when the lawyer can't figure it out, that's pretty bad. No, I knew that. I mean, it was – whoever put it together didn't really understand what they were doing. Okay. okay. I'm not saying that was with evil intent necessarily. Right. But they just didn't understand what the legal and, and business issues were enough to put it into a form that would later be understandable. Mm-hmm. It's got to be understandable later when you decide uh, what are the royalties, who's getting what, you know. Uh, there's yeah, the so courts, many issues the courts need to see something and understand it so they know who gets what and all of that. So Yeah, but not even the courts, the parties themselves. Okay. The, the band has to know what they're expected to get from the record label. Mm-hmm. And if they don't even know what it is and the record label thinks they know what it is but it's not clear, then you have a mess on your hands. Yeah. Talking about record labels, uh, you know, it seems like and not so much these days because a lot more people, a lot more artists are going independent, you know, and, and not going the record label route. But it seems like there was a, a I've heard some horror stories that okay, you sign with this label and they expect a 
another CD within a year and a third CD within two years. And yet it's like pressure that what happens if you don't get these done, but it's in a contract that you have to. I mean, that could cause a lot of problems too. Is that something you would suggest or not? Well, typically, assuming that that is in the contract, typically, if the reason you're not able to get the recordings out on a timely basis that mm-hmm. way, it's because you're out on tour, which the label loves right. because that's how you're going to sell. And and if it's a what's called a 360 deal, then the label's going to get a portion of your touring income as well. So they want you to be on tour. Mm-hmm. So usually they'll give you extensions. But if you don't get it in on time, what that normally does is that freezes the time of the running of the contract. Mm-hmm. So let's say it's a, a – one-year contract with four one-year options. So let's say it was an album for each option. Okay. After that first year is over, if you're not ready to turn it in, the time period does get extended okay. uh, automatically according to the contract okay. usually. Or the label puts you on notice saying that we are extending the term of the contract until you get in the studio and turn over okay. your next album. So they're not so rigid about you know that deadline. No, type but thing. Okay. you might lose the deal, but mm. – well, just make sure that it's in the contract that you can extend it, right? Right. <laughs> that little little extra there. Um, well, you mentioned 360, so let's talk about that. Um, is is there something going on with the 360 right now? And explain what that is. Well, first it's of all. been going on for years now. Okay. Um, back in the late seventies, early eighties, before CDs came out. <laughs> And the record labels weren't making as much money as they thought they should. They did something which they called an across-the-board deal. Okay. That's what it was known as at the time. And an across-the-board deal was they said, not only do we want to sign you for recording, but we want to sign you for music publishing. And at the time, they had started buying merchandise companies and we want to sell you, you know, sign you for merchandise as well. So they called it a cross-the-board deal. And we lawyers who were representing the artists more than the companies Mm -hmm. fought against that and said, no, you're not really a music publisher. And even if you are, we don't want the fox guarding the hen house. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is we want to have a publishing company that's separate from you, record company, so that they're watching to see if you're accounting to us properly. Okay. That way we don't have to rely on ourselves and our lawyers and our accountants. You're in there with us because the more they account for, the more money you're going to make as well. Okay, So we fought against it and after a while they didn't insist on it anymore. Okay. And then CDs came out and Michael Jackson and and people were buying – You know, they had their vinyl and they were going back and buying CDs. So there was a boom in the 80s right. uh, of sales and, and they the record – Labels were making a lot of money and they were happy again. And then when Napster came along. Oh, yeah, Napster. (laughs) And everyone thought music should be for free. The record labels again said, wait a minute. Half of our money all of a sudden went away. Mm -hmm. It it was cut in half about what 15 years ago, whenever it was. And we need a way to make up that money or we're going to go out of business. And they started something called a 360 deal. In other words, we're going to do – 
everything. Okay. And it's the same thing as across the board, okay? So they wanted music publishing. They wanted merchandise. Mm-hmm. They wanted the piece you're touring. Whether they were actually doing anything for those things or not. Mm. Well, that's not doesn't seem right. Well, it, it doesn't <laughs> seem right. But sometimes they were willing to pay you enough money as an advance for each separate category that, gee, maybe this does make sense. Okay. So it depends. So – you know, if you're an artist that they really wanted, uh-huh. you could fight against the 360 and they would take you just as a recording artist. Okay. But if you were marginal and they weren't sure mm-hmm. but they were willing to sign you, then they would insist that it be a 360 deal. And didn't uh, – at that same time – I mean there's there's two separate things here. But let's just say – talk about the – first of all, it seemed like at that point because things were kind of imploding, you know, that – a lot of artists were not looked at or getting represented because they had to be so picky because of you know the problem that right. you know the, the industry brought on itself. And that's still the case. So what happened was the because of the sales being low, their investment in the artist was more risky. Right. Okay. And a marginal artist was even less likely now to make enough money that the it was worthwhile to the record company. So they started signing less and less. They became uh, cautious to be sure that the artist was already successful, mm. already had a big fan base, was already selling maybe 50,000 or 100,000 albums on their own. Wow. Uh, that uh, the artist had – popularity that maybe, for example, uh, on YouTube in today's days that they, that they had put out a video that was already at 10 million views, mm-hmm. something big right. so that they were reducing their risk. They weren't developing artists like they used Which to. Which is a shame. It used to be that you know they if you had the talent and the songs, they would sign you and even if the first couple albums weren't successful, mm-hmm. they were – assuming and and praying in some ways yeah. that by the third album you would take off and then people would go back and buy the first two albums and then you'd all make money. And that was about the time you saw an insurgence of people going independent and doing it on their own because they weren't getting representation. Well, not only was that the time because of that reason, but it was because it was also because the technology allowed it. Now, you could uh Go, for example, to CD Baby or TuneCore mm-hmm. and put out your CDs through them and sign up for their digital distribution and you can get digital distribution around the world through CD Baby, right. for example, at a pretty low cost mm-hmm. and put it out on your own. The problem is you have it out there. How do people know about it? And that's where it gets tricky. The million-dollar question, <laughs> which um, brings up uh, one of my um, – uh, you know, I, I ask for questions for someone you know, um, that maybe wants to know specifically for the, whoever the guest is. Carla said – on that topic, Carla posted, uh, with, what about the legal issues with the intellectual property? We're talking about digital. You know, now it's out there with the different uh, streams. And so in this digital world now – what do artists need to know and do to protect what they create and share electronically, especially, you know, because it's become a free-for-all. You know, even though you may not be right on CD Baby, you're you're out there digitally putting up, you know, on their YouTube page or whatever. So what's some good advice for an artist that 
wants to do, you know, put their music out there? Well, the best advice on that, whether you're planning on putting it out yourself or you're trying to get a record deal with a independent label or a major label, whatever it is, before you put it out publicly, you should be filing your copyright mm. on every song that you're going to distribute, whether it's physical or digital. Okay. Copyrights are so important and most people don't understand or realize that you get additional protection for your copyright by filing it with the U.S. Copyright Office. Okay. So as soon as you create something, for example, even your your notes on your pad there today, okay. those could be considered uh, a tangible medium. It's not physically on a piece of paper. Okay. okay? You created it. Uh -huh. You wrote notes about what you were going to talk about today. So you own the copyright <laughs> to those notes. Okay. Okay. If you write a song, mm -hmm. you can either just write down the lyrics on a sheet of paper or you can record it onto your uh, tape recorder or onto a, you know, uh, onto anything, onto your phone. Right. And you then own the copyright once it's in a tangible medium. But – you don't get the protection of owning the copyright that you would if you actually filed it with the U.S. Copyright Office. Okay. Okay. For one thing, it proves when you are claiming ownership to the copyright mm -hmm. in terms of a date. Yeah. Okay. Secondly, if there ever is litigation, the fact that you file that copyright gives you a presumption that you really wrote that song in a court and the other side would have to prove you didn't mm -hmm. or that they wrote it. You wouldn't have to be the one to prove you did. Okay. You own the copyright. Right. If you file it before someone else violates your copyright okay. and within three months of releasing it to the public, mm -hmm. then you can get what's called statutory damages in litigation. Okay. And statutory damages allows you not to necessarily have to prove what your losses are or what the other side's profits were, but you can get up to $150,000 for each violation oh, wow. under law. And the judge decides what that dollar amount is depending on how willful mm. the violation was by the other side. Okay. okay? In copyright, it doesn't matter if you do it in good faith mm. if you violate someone's copyright. If you violate the copyright, you violate the copyright. The rules are the rules. The rules are the rules. <laughs> so the person who is claiming copyright infringement okay. has to prove two things. They have to prove that the new work is substantially similar okay. to the one that they wrote. Mm -hmm. And the second one is they have to prove that that person actually had access to the original work. Ah. The more similar it is, the less proof you have to have of the access. Okay. But the if it's not that similar but it's still substantially similar, Something then you have yeah. to prove that they actually had the okay. access. Okay. So to give, wow. you, to give you a good example um, – George Harrison wrote a song oh, yes. called My Sweet Lord. Yes. Okay. And he got sued. This is many years ago, mm -hmm. right after he had left, after the Beatles broke up. Uh, he got sued by the publishing company that owned the rights to the song My Sweet Lord. Uh, he's, so he's so fine. He's so fine. He's yes. so fine. Yeah. Okay. And 
George said, I never heard that song. <laughs> and But they they did the trial in, in two parts as they'll often do in infringement cases. The first one is, is it substantially similar? And then the second one is, mm-hmm. you know, did you have access? So the finding of the court was, yes, it was substantially similar. It was, yes. And then basically the judge said to George, George, I know you're a good Beatle, but everyone's <laughs> heard he's so fine. <laughs> Yeah, that that's a that's a story we all know about that. Uh, you mentioned the copyrights. Uh, so, what happens when someone just takes like like a riff out of a song or something? Is that still enough that you've infringed? Yes, it depends. though. okay, there's always <laughs> okay. a depends. It, it, it depends. <laughs> well, it depends what part of the country you're in for one thing, because okay. different districts uh, around or. Uh, uh, circuits around the country have different rules oh, oh because okay, courts have decided differently. Mm-hmm. So there's a division between a, uh, a borrowing, let's call it, okay. of someone's underlying composition. In other words, uh, maybe some of the lyrics or some of the music, mm-hmm. not re—I mean, re-recording it though, right. not taking the actual recording, right? But just using some of it. Okay. And if it's such a small amount that an ordinary person can't even hear it, yeah. Then most courts would say that's what's called de minimis, and we're not going to find copyright infringement. Okay. Okay? okay. But there's no certain amount. People think, oh, you're allowed up to six notes or something. No, there's <laughs> nothing like that. Okay? okay. It's can you can a jury recognize that it came from the earlier gotcha. work? Okay? okay. If it comes to a sound recording, though, which is called a sample, mm-hmm. in the Sixth Circuit, which is where we are, that includes. I don't know, Ohio, Kentucky, and Tennessee, um, if there's any amount of that recording <laughs> that is used by the new person, that's copyright infringement. Okay. Even if you can't distinguish it because it's been digitally altered. Oh, really? But oh. if you actually use it, then that's copyright infringement. Uh, it's complicated. I, I was just going to say, <laughs> this is why you need the attorney, the entertainment lawyer. It's like, um, and, and someone listening might say, Gosh, I've got hundreds of songs. That's a lot to copyright. That could be expensive. Yeah, but well, you used to be able to copyright in large batches. They mm-hmm. just changed that. You really can't do that anymore. But let's say you've done uh, ten songs, and I think that's a limit. It was just changed. Okay. I'm pretty sure it's ten. You've done ten songs. You can file ten songs together, whether they were part of an album or even if they haven't been released yet. Okay. You can file ten together and. They keep changing the filing fee. It's somewhere around $45 for all 10. Well, that's not too so bad. So it's not too bad. If you understand how to do it, you can do mm-hmm. it on your own. You upload the songs digitally to the copyright office. Once you get the hang of it, then what you should do is every three months. Three months, okay. Because you don't want the song to have been out, even if it's just to a couple people, mm-hmm. for more than three months in order to get your statutory damages. Okay. So every few months, you should gather your 10 songs that you might put out or that you have put out mm-hmm. and file a copyright for Okay. Them. So it's, a, it's, it's like a regular thing. This is part of your business. Every three months, you know, make sure that you've got your songs copyrighted. Right. And if you have more than 10 now because of the new uh, statute, you have to do it more often. Mm-hmm. But you should just do it regularly. Yeah. 
I mean, there's so much business, so much that a, a musician has to deal with. First of all, yes. you know, booking their gigs and all of that. But, you know, in the long run, if you don't have someone that knows all these loopholes and, you know, all these laws and, you know, all the, the, the different things about your particular music, then you you could lose a lot of money. Yes. Down the line. Yes, you could. And, you know, and you never know. You can't assume. If you assume, oh, it's not going to matter, then you're assuming you're not going to be successful. Mm-hmm. Think because big, right most away. big successful artists, someone along the line is going to come along and borrow one of your songs. <laughs> borrow, I like it. Borrow in quotes, air quotes there. Borrow. Um, so uh, your songs are basically your intellectual property. Do you need a specific intellectual property lawyer or just an entertainment lawyer? Were they, they most have... entertainment lawyers handle intellectual okay. property? Okay. Okay. Um, in in New York and L.A where there are thousands of entertainment lawyers <laughs> uh, because there are hundreds of thousands of artists that have migrated there. Lawyers tend to specialize more, but they'll usually have a firm where someone in the firm does the copyright, someone else in the firm does trademark, someone else does the recording contract, someone else might do the publishing contracts. Mm-hmm. But you do need to have generically an entertainment lawyer that okay. can help you with all those areas. Would it be in in something that um, an, an artist or band, when looking for an, an entertainment lawyer, for example, would they would things like how well does this? We'll just say lawyer could be the whole firm. You know, how well are they connected to the record labels or to the record companies or to other parts of the business? Is is that important? Do you think when someone's looking for an entertainment lawyer? It is important if your aspiration is to have someone that's connected and can help you get connected. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I have clients who come to me. They're already more connected than I am. <laughs> uh, they've already got you know uh, part of their posse that is connected to the major record labels or a major publisher, and they they know they're going to be able to get you know okay. uh, tapped right into all that. So for them, it wouldn't be as important. But it, it is a good thing, certainly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why people go to entertainment lawyers. Sometimes it's not even for a contract. There are times when people come to me, they've got a project that's really taking off. They're on their own. But they think by going to a major label, that's going to get them to that next level. Right. And they want to know, am I connected to those major labels, which I am. Okay. That only helps in the long run. Sure. You know, you want as many connections as you can if, if you don't have those to start with. Right. It's a business of networking and connections. That's why I'll be going um, next week in 10 days uh, to the south of France to uh, what's called MEDEM, which is the International Music Festival. Okay. Everyone knows about the Cannes Film Festival. Right. Well, this is the Cannes Music Festival. Oh, okay. And I've gone. This will be my 22nd year going. And uh, it's just about networking. It's people from all around the world mm-hmm. that are with record labels, publishing companies, uh, distributors, various – some artists, although that's not really the focus. This right. is a more of a business to business. But it's all about knowing where product can go to be able to get distributed in Europe or mm-hmm. in China or in Japan or 
wherever. Which is another thing if uh, for artists, do you handle like if their music gets distributed, you know, overseas? Is that a whole different thing that or can, something you can still handle? No, as well? it's something I I usually can handle. Okay. Uh, if I don't, one of the things that happens when I go to France mm-hmm. uh, in a couple of weeks is. I'm a member of the International Association of Entertainment Lawyers and we meet at Medem in France for a full day of seminars, lunches, cocktail okay. parties, dinners to get to know each other. So when an issue comes up, we know who to ha- have oh, help perfect. us. Yeah. I had someone one time came to me, uh, a client of mine and said, uh, we just got ripped off. Someone took a sample from mm. one of our recordings and used it on a dance recording that was released in the Netherlands. And then when it started taking off, it got picked up by a label in London. Okay. And it's become one of the biggest dance hits in the world right now. Wow. And we tried collecting from them and the lawyer there was uh, – wasn't very friendly and told us, you know, to take a hike. Oh, okay. What do we do? Oh. <laughs> and I said, are you kidding? Yeah. And and I brought in my friends from England and from Netherlands. Okay. And instead of a letter just coming from me mm-hmm. to this lawyer who wasn't very friendly, it came from these other two lawyers as well, telling them to cease and desist and to pay up. Yeah. And it turned out, coincidentally, that one of the lawyers that I retained was the lawyer for a record company that that other lawyer was a shareholder in. And he, and he used oh. him as a lawyer and oh, he wow. took him serious and we settled the case and my clients made a lot of money from it. So yeah. it's knowing people where you need to know. Where you them. need to know, yeah. Uh, and interesting, I've never heard of that uh, the conference, I guess, is a good way to put it in, in yeah. France. Yeah. That'd be a really – be like to fly in the wall on some of those things, uh, some some things. Uh, a quick question for you. Biggest challenge for musicians right now, what do you think that is? The biggest challenge is probably uh, to be able to promote your work. Mm-hmm. Because, for example, if you go on um, CD Baby – and distribute physical through them and have them tie you into, you know, iTunes around the world and Spotify around the world and all these other streaming sources and Mm -hmm. download sources. That's great. But because CD Baby brings to Spotify, for example, you know, tens of thousands of acts, they don't get any priority at the streaming service. They don't automatically end up on their playlists Mm -hmm. and on this and on that. So it's either you've got to find someone who has access to Spotify and will promote it for you or a label that has access. So the hardest thing is getting the attention. It's like a needle in a haystack, I would think. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I, I mean, I've had clients in the past, not so much anymore, because people aren't as excited about walking into a record store and seeing their <laughs> album there, like they used record to be. Store, what's that? Yeah. <laughs> but I remember clients, you know, yeah, um, especially my if you record, were my you, album. You know, you're on the said, end cap, right? How by many, the register. How many yeah. of you sold? Well, I don't know. Yeah, not too. You know, who's promoting it? Promoting it? What do you mean promoting it? Mm. You know, it's got to be that people know about it in order to buy it. Right, right. Times have changed for sure. Yeah. 
I missed going to the record stores. Those were right. uh, those were like uh, all night events. You know? Yeah. <laughs> just when you were just talking about that other thing with uh, your your past client, I just. Um, it just came to me is um, Sugarman Rodriguez. Yes, you know, and the the whole issue because you know all of a sudden he was like he disappeared, but people were playing his music, and you know it's like from the documentary um, Finding Sugarman is that the right title? Searching, searching. For Sugar thank Man. you, searching for Sugarman. It's like you know I, I was curious, you know, did did they ever? resolve all that and he's getting the money for all this music. Any ideas on that? Oh, I have a lot of ideas. Oh, Oh, I hit a nerve. Oh. (laughs) Um, I mean, just that kind of a story. He is. He's getting money from the current sales. So since he became big and the the documentary came out, you know, he's getting money going forward from that date. Going back, I've been involved in litigation involving it actually. And uh, very weak, let's put it that oh, way, okay. in terms okay. of prior, uh, oh. because everyone it's deny, deny, deny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I as don't you know. can imagine. Yes, I see nothing. I know nothing. Yes, um, and and you don't want to be in that position, you know. F- after the fact, as you said earlier, it's like you know you want to be able to have all this laid out ahead of time, so you're not you're not in those kinds of positions where you're just scrambling or having to you know be in litigation for days on end, you know years for years on years end. on end. Years yes, on end. yeah, I, I know how you know it's I, like <laughs> I'm involved in one series of litigation that I can't talk about that's been going now. Let's see, I think it started in 1992. What? A series of cases that are still ongoing. Seriously. Ninety-two. <laughs> yes. Well, you're set for your. <laughs> no, I'm actually. I'm not. A, I'm a witness in the litigation. Oh, okay, which is okay. A, an odd position. That's to be in. Uh, that's ridiculous. That long. Well, different cases. So you know, okay. there was another case where, um, that also went on just about that long. Where at one point I was appointed by the court uh, to be what used to be called a special master, which is like a mediator between the parties okay. to make recommendations on how they're supposed to handle the case. Uh-huh. And, and this case was another one. You know, it would get resolved and then it would get refiled a couple of years later because there would be a new set of royalties that oh, my goodness. allegedly owed and it just goes on and on and on and on. Wow. Yeah. That one was between uh, Holland, Osher Holland. Oh, from Motown. From Motown, Barry Gordy and Joe Batts. Ah. So – uh, it's always something interesting. <laughs> well, and then, you know, because the the limits, of course, they've added the time before something becomes, let's just say, public domain. So there's still a lot of music out there that, you know, people can claim or make money from. And then it's if it's right. not all laid out already. Well, on the publishing side, the music publishing side, which is the composition, not the recording. There's okay. two copyrights. Right, There's right. a copyright for the composition and one for the sound recording. Right. On the composition side and any writings, whether it's a book or anything else, copyrights currently are for the lifetime of the writer plus 70 years. Yeah. So that's a long time. A long time. Now, on, on sound recordings, while it is still the same – There was no U.S. copyright for sound recordings until 1972. Really? So anything before 72. That's why you've heard about there's big lawsuits involving Sirius and other digital distributors Mm -hmm. because they're not paying 
the owner of the sound recordings oh. if they were created before mm-hmm. 1972. So it's, I, it's a mess. Uh, I was just going to say, what a mess. <laughs> uh, so because things can get messy, as it, it's – you know, a, a musician needs to do – what are some basic steps? I mean you already talked about a few of those. You know, get your music copyrighted. You know, um, but when someone comes up with a song, OK, they finish their song. First thing they should do. First thing they should do if they – if it's just among the band, let's say, mm-hmm. that wrote the song and they have an agreement in writing that says how they're going to split it. Great. If they don't have an agreement in writing, as soon as they finish the song, whether it's recording it or agreeing in rehearsal, okay, this is the way the song is. Okay. They should do what's called a split sheet. Okay. Where they should put in writing, we've created this song called X Mm -hmm. and here's who the writers are and what their percentages are of writing and – that those writers therefore own the publishing or the whole band owns the publishing if that's what their agreement is. It should be all put in writing right okay. then because that way later if the song's successful, they're not infighting mm. over you know, who it was that wrote it and how, what percentage did they each get. Okay. That's really important. Is there like a template online of some sort of split oh, sheet sure that you, you could, can – you could find one, sure. Just, I mean it sounds pretty basic. It's pretty basic. Everybody signs it and you're good. Right. Okay. Right. Then everyone gets a copy of it too. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Not just one person. <laughs> right. But there was, a, there was a, a lawsuit and I'm trying to remember his name. I'm really bad on remembering names. He's a, a Caucasian jazz singer out of New Orleans, um, what, something junior I think. I okay. can't think of his name. Okay. We'll think of it later. Anyway, so he had a co-writer on his uh, songs uh-huh. and – but he was the artist and they had in writing a contract that said it's going to be a 60-40 split between us. Okay. That uh, Harry Connick Jr. Oh, okay. There, I thought of it. Yep. <laughs> Harry Connick Jr. was going to get 60 percent and his co-writer was going to get 40 percent because okay. Harry's the one who – Yeah, it's Harry after it's all. It's Harry, right. Yeah. And they did, I don't know, four or five albums. And when it came to the next one, they went ahead and did it. And then Harry said to him, uh, yeah, I think we should move on now. Okay. And the guy said, well, on that last album, though, don't forget, we're 50-50. And he said, no, 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 it's always been 60-40. He said, yeah, but our agreement ran out. Oh. The last album wasn't under that agreement. And because the law says 50-50, it's 50-50. And I think he ended up having to actually sue and won the case because that's what the law says. If if there's three people in the room Mm -hmm. working on a song and one of them only contributes 10 percent, if it's not in writing, he gets a third. It's split evenly between whoever the co-writers are. Okay. it's a lesson to be learned. Well, I, I think that's that's a big takeaway here for every musician that's you know listening. And if you have whatever you're doing, you know, jamming with someone at the end of it, you've got your finished product. Do that split sheet just so you're covered. Everybody signs it, and you're, right. you're good to go. I mean, that's the the basics. That's where because to start. it's easier to agree on a percentage then than it is three years <laughs> later when all of a sudden it's a hit song. 
Yeah, that's always when everyone starts. Wait a minute, we got big now. You know, hey, I did most of that song. I can just yeah, right. Can, and a lot of bands break up because of that too. That's true. That is yeah, unfortunate. Um, uh, so th- that was the fifty fifty split. Is is the how long ago was that in law? The fifty fifty oh, that has it, been around forever. It's, yeah, it's part of the copyright. Oh, act. Okay, okay. I don't know for how long, but. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a divorce, you know, 50-50, you know, and basically if you're spitting up, right. you know, um, not common law, but, well, entertainment law, basically. Right. Okay, so just just cover your bases. And so they have this split and then, and again, copyright all the music. Copyright all the music, have an agreement among the band members. Mm-hmm. If you're going to uh, sign with anyone – Make sure you have an entertainment lawyer because it, it's complicated. You're not going to understand it. And even if you understand it, you're not going to know what the standard in the industry right. is. So you really need someone who knows the industry, can negotiate on your behalf, try and get you the best deal possible. Right. And then you have to decide if you're willing to sign the deal. Yeah. There's a lot of fine print on those, I would imagine. Okay. <laughs> well, like a current uh, major label record deal is about 120 pages. What? Yeah. <laughs> and every word is important. And it's all legalese and so no one, you know, normal can understand right. <laughs> it. And it's the creative side of musicians that's way beyond. It's, it's like whole, I have no idea what this right. is. They'll read one page and go, I'm done. I'm done. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, OK. Howard, what's your number? Howard, you know, call Howard. Yeah, that's uh, – and, and a lot of them rather would rather create than sit here and try to figure out, you know, 120-some page contract right you know and good for the artist that gets to that point you know where they need the contract oh definitely you know that's always the goal and you know as i always said think big you know just don't think i'm just going to do coffee houses for the rest of my life you know but still and if you perform that in a coffee house you still can get royalties from it well right that's a whole other thing which we haven't really talked about which is performing rights Mm -hmm. and and that's i'm glad you brought that up do we have time (laughs) to get into that a little well we have a couple minutes and i'm actually going to um you know, last week I had someone on, we were talking about licensing and he brought up a lot of those royalties that people, the bands have no clue that they are allowed to have. Right. right. Let me let me bring up a couple. One of them, which is really important, is performing rights. Mm. So there are, in the U.S., there are three performing rights organizations, although now there's a new one that's kind of a startup, but you have to be on the in club in order oh, to oh, get sorry. into it. <laughs> but, but the main three ones are ASCAP. BMI and CSAC, mm-hmm. okay? And those are performing rights organizations. And what that means is that anytime your music is played publicly, performed, whether it's streaming music, mm-hmm. whether it is uh, at a coffee shop, whether it's on television, on the radio, if it's publicly performed, then whoever is – Broadcasting that mm-hmm. or the venue, if it's music, right. live music, has to pay a royalty to the three performing rights organizations. They have to have a license. Yeah. And then the organizations each do it slightly differently, but they do a scientific survey of how often the songs are being played. And then they pay the money out to they're members. Yeah. So you want to be a member if you perform anywhere, if you have any digital or 
uh, terrestrial radio play. You got to make sure that you're signed up. I'm actually going to have uh, Tim. I think it's Patterson, BMI guy from New York. He will be on here in a few weeks. Okay. So we will really delve into the the royalties and that part of. Oh great! Well, he was just in town and and spoke at our at the Detroit Music Foundation. We just had a a seminar two nights ago. Yes. Yeah. On. on collecting royalties. Collecting royalties. Yeah. Show me the money. Show me the money. <laughs> you know, and it, which is so important for musicians. You know, they just so many of them have two different jobs trying to you know keep things going. But there's so many ways that you can get the money that I think uh, was lost on a, a lot of musicians. So right. I want. I'm trying to share that so you know Good. they can learn and be able to you know get yeah. their and music Tim's out there. Tim's a great guy. So, yeah. So looking forward to that one as well. So well, uh, we are kind of running out of time here. Any last things that you'd like to share that you know, make sure musicians know that um, maybe. With your expertise, well, the the only other thing that is really important, uh, it's more for the older musicians, and I'm Uh, not trying to be ageist. (laughs) Okay, but (laughs) if your music was uh, assigned to a record label Mm -hmm. or a music publishing company, or if you're an author and you wrote, and and it was assigned to a a book publisher, Mm -hmm. the copyright. Under the new Copyright Act, which went into effect in 1978, but the time periods are just getting ripe over the last five years, there are rights and ways to get your copyrights back. Oh. So what happens is, for example, uh, artists like Bruce Springsteen and some of the ones that were big in the the, uh, 70s or – uh, from the Motown era even, mm-hmm. those songs are ripe for getting your rights back or renegotiating with oh. whoever owns it to get another chunk of money from okay. them so that they buy it back from you. Oh. So it's really important to know about it is a complicated, crazy statute that takes hours to calculate <laughs> What time period? Oh, wow. There's a notice time period. There's a window of time. If you lose it, if you don't use it, you lose it. Although 10 wow. years down the road, you might be able to get it back. My head's spinning, Howard. It's crazy, <laughs> but you need to know about it because wow. it can be worth millions of dollars to some oh. artists that don't know about it. Oh, my gosh. And what was that called again? The Well, it's copyright reversion or reversion. copyright termination. Okay. Oh, my. Okay. Good to know. So that's good to know. When you say millions, you know, <laughs> yeah, if that's, you, if, that's if, a big amount you know, of money. If there are songwriters, for example, that wrote huge songs for Motown, yeah. for example, that you know, Motown insisted at the time that they own all of the publishing rights. Right. And you might be able to get that back oh. or get them to buy it from you again. That when, just kind of sounds like the um, – Paul McCartney and Michael Jackson issue? Is that similar to well, what that related. was? Well, it's related. Paul McCartney okay. is, is in litigation over okay. some of those very yeah. issues oh, right now. Wow. You know, there's so much that a musician has to deal with. Not just the main thing, of course, is coming up with the music, but there's so many other things. Oh, my gosh. And a, like I said at the beginning, it's a very complicated yes. business. So don't try to do it on your, on your own. <laughs> Find yourself a great entertainment lawyer and uh, let them deal with all that all that rigmarole and the contracts and all of that. And, and basically, they're, they're on your team, so they're going to help you, you know, grow and right. do the right things and everything. So, well, thank you, Howard Hertz. Oh, my gosh. Pleasure. Some good information in there. And, um, you know, I'm hopefully, you know, help some musicians and, you know, go on, get on the right path. And so they don't lose anything 
and uh, get stuck having to sit in litigation because they didn't do something right in the yeah, beginning. Yeah, but and a lot of it is that if you do end up with a contract, you want to get the most out of that contract as exactly. you can. Aside from litigation, aside from all that, you want to make sure your royalty mm-hmm. rate is fair, that you're being treated properly by the label or by the music publishing company and that you're getting a fair royalty or the best royalty possible. Right, right. And a lot of musicians wouldn't know, even know what that number is. So Exactly. And your expertise, you can say, no, this is not good or this is really good. So let's go for it, you know, type of thing. So right. awesome. Well, again, thank you, Howard. Appreciate that. And uh, that wraps up this episode of the Business of the Music Business. Uh, you can find more, more information at um, my pa- website, excuse me, pamrossi.com. And um, you are at... Hertz Shram.com. Okay. So if you have more questions or would like to uh, talk to Howard about uh, representation and any of that stuff, uh, feel free to do that. So um, that wraps it up. So uh, we'll do this again next time. Another edition of the business of the music business where I just try to help the musicians. You know, you guys create the music. I'm going to help you on the other end of it if I can. Uh, thanks so much for listening. I'm Pam Rossi.